Thanks for taking time to watch this video message. Our mission here at Crosspoint is to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. And we pray that by watching, you experience both the hope and love he has to offer you. If you have questions or need more information on the ministries of our church, visit us online at crosspointcity.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you here today. Uh, I was telling our team before we came out this morning that just yesterday I was sitting down and just kind of going through the plan for today, listening to the song, singing about the message, communion, what we're going to be doing later, and, and I just really believe that God wants to do something big today, and so I'm glad you're here, and I can't wait to see what he does. If you have a Bible or a device with an app, you can grab those things. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me, if you will, Hebrews 11. Uh, if you're new to church, new to Bible reading, Hebrews, it's in the New Testament. It's going to be toward the end of your Bible. So if you want to flip toward the end and then go back a few pages, eventually you'll find Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we also have uh, a cool new feature on our app in case you guys are using the new Crosspoint City Church app. If you're not yet, go download that. It's free. A lot of great resources available there. But on the app, you can now find our message notes. And so you can still follow along on version, take your own notes there, or you can bring up the app and, and you can find all the notes uh, for the messages, all right? But Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're kicking off this brand new series called Vintage Faith, and to get us going, I thought I'd pose a simple question. It's a question I want you to answer for yourself. Here it is. What is faith? What is faith? If I could hand you the microphone today and let you answer that question out loud for the rest of us. What would your answer be? What is faith? Look, here's why I ask. In today's world, faith is often viewed as nothing more than hopeful, wishful thinking. Thinking that sounds something like this. Well, I hope things get better. I hope things turn around. I hope I get that job. I hope I, I can afford this car or that house. I hope I can find somebody that might marry me one day. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And, and maybe if I hope long enough and hard enough, all that I'm hoping for will eventually work out like I want it to work out. You ever been there before? Look, I'm sure that many of us in the room, if we were being honest, we would say that we have, uh, in certain moments and seasons of life, thought that way. And if you're anything like me, you've probably also had people stepping into your lives during those moments and seasons to encourage you to keep thinking the way you were thinking. They would say something to you like this. Uh, hey, just, just have faith. It'll all work out. Don't lose faith. Things will turn around. Just, just keep on keeping on. Believe the best. Hope the best. Keep up the faith. You'll find somebody out there willing to marry you, maybe, right? We've all thought this way at times. Look, as, as noble and as spiritual as that brand of thinking sounds, here's what you need to know. According to the Bible, that's not faith. Like when you have people telling you, well, just stay positive, be optimistic. I know we don't know what the future holds, but just keep believing the best. It'll all work out. That's not biblical faith. Faith is not vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking, nor is it blind optimism. But it's not you and I choosing to believe the best in spite of not knowing what's true or what the future holds. Biblical faith is entirely different. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews 11... We're just going to read and study three verses today, and I'm going to show you what I mean, all right? We're going to start reading verse one. Here's what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. So the writer of Hebrews in this opening verse tells us uh, that faith, it's comprised of two things. One, can, uh, confidence, that's another word for assurance. Some of your Bibles might actually use the word confidence there. And then secondly, conviction. So here's the idea. Faith is you and I being 100% confident that things we're hoping for will come to pass. And it's you and I being deeply convicted that things we can't see or haven't seen actually exist, have happened, and or will one day be realized and seen. Now, I realize that in hearing that, some of you guys might be asking a couple questions. Uh, some of you might be asking this. James, uh, you, you just said that faith is about me being 100% sure, confident that all these things I'm hoping for are going to come to pass. James, how can I really be sure? Like, I've got some big dreams. I've got some big goals, some big hopes. I'd love to know without a shadow of a doubt that those things are going to happen in my life. So, James, how can I be 100% confident? Or maybe you're asking this question, uh, James, how can I be deeply convicted that things that I haven't seen or can't see are actually real? Because I'd love that. Like, I mean, I try to believe in God. I try to be a good person. I try to live a decent life, but I'm not convicted like you just talked about. Like, I'd love to, to know for sure with a deep conviction that all these spiritual realities we talk about here week after week are actually real and, and exist. So how, how can I get there? Look, if you're asking those questions or you've ever asked those questions in the past, here's what you need to know. The answers lie in the promises of God. Look, don't miss this. The promises of God are ultimately what give us confidence that things we're hoping for will come to pass and deep conviction that things we haven't seen or can't see exist, have happened, and will one day be seen. Look, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We'll keep it easy. What, what is faith? I'll give you a simple definition. Biblical faith is this, being sure of the past, present, and future because God promised it was, is, and will be so. That's biblical faith, being sure of the past, present, and future because God promised it was, is, and will be so. Now, we're going to make sense of this definition by going back to our passage the writer of Hebrews goes on to give us a couple of examples about what this faith looks like in real life. So keep reading. Verse 2, for by it, that's faith, uh, for by faith the people of old received their commendation. That's not condemnation, very different word there, commendation. Here's what the writer's telling us. This reference to the people of old here is a reference to people in the Old Testament. Heroes of the faith, if you will. We're going to talk about some of those people next Sunday, so be back for that. But, but we're told that, that these Old Testament people, certain people, were commended by God, praised by God. And why? Well, because they banked their entire lives on present and future promises that God had made to them. Right? Think about it. Uh, first, there was this standing promise from God that if the Old Testament people, his people, would obey him, follow his commands that they would be his people he would bless them he'd be their god he'd protect them from their enemies all in life would go well and so these old testament people that were praised by god guess what they did they believed god they banked their life on that promise and said well you know what we might as well obey him i mean if he's saying that he's telling the truth and so we should obey and follow and and uh, and we want life to go well so let's just do it his way there was also, secondly, a future promise that God made in the Old Testament to his people time and time again, over 350 times, by the way, to send a Savior into the world. 
And these people banked their lives on that promise. God promised them that, that this Savior would come, that he would offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice for sin, freeing people from sin, death, and hell, and making a way for them to be restored back to a right relationship with him. If you've ever wondered, how in the world were Old Testament people saved because they lived before Jesus? Here's a simple answer. They looked forward to the coming Savior. They put their faith in the promises of God concerning that Savior. You and I today, we look back on the cross of Jesus Christ, and we believe that God sent a Savior. People in the Old Testament that were commended by God, they looked forward to the cross and went, well, God said it, and and we're going to believe it, and we're going to trust that that a Savior is coming. And in light of his promise, we are going to live our lives in faithful obedience to him. Are you with me? Keep reading. Verse 3. The writer goes on, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now in this verse we get a picture of what our faith looks like in regards to the past. So think about it like this with me. Uh, We're told here that that God, he spoke the universe into being, right? Can we all agree none of us were there when it happened? None of us witnessed with our own eyes the power and the creativity of God. We didn't see him speaking and creation come into being out of complete nothingness. So here's a question I want to ask. Why in the world are some of us so convinced that it was him? Ever thought about that? Like, why are some of us so sure we'll fight tooth and nail? No, it was God. It's not evolution. It's not any of this other stuff. It's, why are we so convinced it's him? I think there's one reason that most of us could agree upon, and and it's this, that the intricacies of creation are so great that there's a little chance of all this happening uh, just by pure coincidence. Can we agree? Like maybe you walked in the door today and you're not even a Christian. Maybe you adhere to another belief system, another religion. Maybe you would say, I'm agnostic, but you're willing to admit, you know what? I see all this. Probably somebody out there responsible. If that's you, I would again imagine that that the reason it's hard for you to deny that there's a creator uh, who exists is because of all the intricacies you see playing out around you on a daily basis. But for those of us in the room who are followers of Christ, there's another reason we believe that God is the one responsible, right? You know the reason. Because he said it was him. That's why we believe it. You can open the Bible and go to places like Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. Where we're told that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The heavens and all their hosts. That God spoke and creation came to be. He spoke and all of creation stood firm. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, who, who was it? It was God who created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 1 verse 20 tells us that God, he created everything in existence in order to put his divine power and nature on display. So that not a single living, breathing person could ever deny his existence. Look, when you choose to believe those promises from the pages of this book, you know what that's called, right? Faith. It's you exercising confidence and conviction in the promises of God regarding realities that have happened, but you didn't see with your own eyes. Look, let's go back to the definition again. What is biblical faith? Well, biblical faith, again, is this, being sure of the past, present, and future Because God promised it was, it is, and it will be so. Look, with our understanding of this definition in mind, let me ask you a couple questions. One, as you think about the past, the present, and the future, what are you hoping for and what are you convicted of? 
The second question I want to ask is this. Do your hopes and convictions align with the promises of God? Listen, to help you better answer those questions, let's just consider a few of God's promises together if we can, all right? Uh, One of God's promises to us is this, that if we will seek first his kingdom, he'll provide for our kingdoms. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to give us everything we want, right? That's not a promise he's made. It just means that God will meet all of our basic needs if, in fact, we seek first his kingdom. Listen, because of that promise, you and I can be sure that no matter what our circumstances might be, no matter what we're facing in life, if we're seeking God's kingdom first, before anything else, before our own kingdoms, that God will meet our needs. Never should our attitudes be, well, I hope God takes care of me. Hope God comes through. I hope God notices that I lost my job and I need some help down here. Look, you can have 100% confidence, deep conviction, that no matter what's going on in your life, if in fact you are seeking first the kingdom of God, God will provide for you and meet all your needs somehow, some way. And why? Well, because that's his promise. That's what he said he would do. Uh, another one of God's promises is this, that he would forgive the sins of any person who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and adopt those people into his family as loved sons and daughters. Look, because of that promise, here's beautiful news. You and I don't ever have to wonder what God feels about us what he thinks about us. Never should our attitude be, well, you know, I hope I'm doing enough to keep God happy. Hope I'm working hard enough to make God love me. I hope I'm I'm trying enough so that God might just forget about and let go of all the stuff that I've done in my past. Look, because of God's promises, you and I can have total confidence, deep conviction that he loves us unconditionally. And that nothing we ever do is going to make him love us more or less. And that's not because of us. That's because of what Jesus has done for us. But that's his promise to us. Another promise is this, that God will give us victory over death. Isn't this beautiful? It's one of my favorite promises. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we never die. Even though physical death comes for all of us, for the believer in Christ, new life, eternal life, it goes on after life on this earth is over. Look, because of that promise, you and I, we don't ever have to fear death if we know Jesus. Isn't that great? We can say with deep conviction and with total confidence what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21, that for me, man, if I'm living, it's going to be all about Jesus, and if I die, it's going to be even better. Death is, is gain, because what I gain through death is the very presence of God himself and a life far better than I could ever know here on the earth. That's what God has promised. Look, I'll give you a few more. Um, do you know that God has promised that in this world we'd have trouble? As we walk through life here on the earth, we'd suffer, we'd feel pain, we'd experience hardship, uh, we'd face death. You get that, right? That's a promise he's made. But at the same time, he's promised us that no matter what we face in life, no matter what pain we feel, no matter our hardship, that he would be with us every step of the way. That he'd never leave, he'd never forsake us, he would never leave us to suffer on our own. Isn't that beautiful? He promises to be all that we need him to be when we need him most. And and finally, he promises to take any hardship, any pain, any trial that we face in life, and to use it somehow, some way, for our good and for his glory. But because of those promises, our attitude should never be uh, in those hard seasons of life. Well, God quit on me. 
He bailed. He left. Where is he? He's nowhere to be found. Because of what he's promised, you and I can have total confidence, deep conviction that no matter what we're facing, God is with us. He loves us. He cares. And he will carry us through whatever it is we're facing if, in fact, we'll allow him to do so. That's a promise he's made to us. So with those promises in mind, let me go back to the questions. As you think about the past, the present, and the future, what are you hoping for? And what are you convicted of? And do your hopes and convictions align with the promises of God? In other words, in other words, stay with me. Do your hopes and convictions, uh, does your confidence and, and all that you believe to be true, does it, does it come as a result of you understanding and knowing the character of God and the promises he's made to you? Here's why I ask such an important question. Because if you and I fail to align our hopes and convictions with the promises of God, uh, this thing called circumstantial faith, which is the enemy of true biblical faith, begins to define our lives. Here's circumstantial faith if you're taking notes. Circumstantial faith is this, choosing to believe what your circumstances and or feelings tell you to believe. Choosing to believe what your circumstances and or your feelings tell you to believe. Uh, I'll give you some real life examples so that you can hear how circumstantial faith plays itself out, okay? Let's say that you're the person in the room who loses a job unexpectedly. Circumstantial faith would say this. Uh, you're going to starve now. Not going to be able to pay your bills. You're going to live under the stress of being unemployed. Other people, they're going to think poorly of you. Probably like you're a slug, a lazy person who got fired because you weren't doing your job. Or you stole from your company. And God, he must not care. If he did care, why would he let you lose your job? He doesn't care about providing for you. He doesn't care about your reputation. He doesn't care about your needs. If he cared, you'd still have a job right now. But let's say you're the person in the room who falls into sin. Or do you refuse to forgive yourself for something that you've done in the past? Here's what circumstantial faith would say. Hey, those feelings of guilt and shame that you're carrying around? Yeah, those are the same things God feels toward you. God doesn't care. He's ashamed of you. He's mad. He's disappointed. Yeah, 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 I know all this stuff about Jesus dying on the cross to free you from sin and shame and, and guilt. But, but you know what? It's up to you to work hard and to do better and to clean yourself up if you want God to change the way he feels. Let's say you're the person who uh, experiences some kind of sickness or, or death concerning someone in your life that you love. Here's what circumstantial faith would say. Well, why didn't God prevent this? If God really cared, he, he would have stopped this. If God is fine letting people that you love get sick or, or pass away unexpectedly, that must mean that he's either distant, he's unloving, he's uncaring, or completely disinterested in your life. And then finally, maybe you're the person in the room who's been hurt deeply by people in your life that were supposed to love you the most. Maybe they abandoned you, gave you up, abused you in some way. Here's what circumstantial faith would say to you. Something's wrong with you. And just like all these other people walked out on you, God, he's walked out on you. He's bailed. He doesn't want to deal with your baggage. He doesn't want to be there for you. You don't have the kind of faith it takes to call on God to intervene in your situation. He's not here for you now. And he's not going to be here for you in the future when you, excuse me, when you need him. Do you hear the dangers of circumstantial faith? I could give other examples because we're all going through something. I could give other examples, but the danger of circumstantial faith is this. It has a way of forcing us to look past the character and the promises of God and to develop our own ideas about who God is based on whatever we're experiencing in life at any given moment. 
And the most unfortunate thing about circumstantial faith is this. It causes people to walk away from true faith in God day after day after day. I'm sure you know people like I know people that this is their story. They loved God. They were involved in church. They were following Jesus. And something happened. And that something left them walking away from the God they once loved and were so devoted to. And as you started talking to that person, your friend or your family member, it became clear very quickly that their experience left them believing in a God who is nowhere to be found in the pages of this book. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Like maybe the person that walked in the room and, and you're struggling with faith in God because of something you're feeling, something you've experienced. Maybe you've carried those questions in with you. God, how, how could you? God, why would you? God, why didn't you? And because of what's going on in your life or what's gone on in your life, you're having a really hard time believing that God is anything other than an unloving, distant, heartless being who could care less about you or what you're facing. Look, if that's you, can I just tell you this? Please don't miss it. I don't believe in that God either. That God that you're struggling to find faith in, that's not my God. It's not the God we're here to celebrate and worship today. My God is a caring God, a loving God. A God who's present, a God who's available, a God who is faithful to me even when I'm not faithful to him. And I pray more than anything that you would come to find faith in that God. Listen, with all that in mind, we're going to spend the rest of our time answering one big question. It's an important question, and it's this. How in the world do you and I align our hopes and our convictions with the promises of God so that we walk in true faith, not circumstantial faith? And for those of us in the room, before we go there, that are already thinking, well, this message is for other people. My faith is fine. It's strong. Like, I've heard this message before. don't even know why I came today. I could be sleeping in. Look, let me just say this. Don't check out as we answer this question. This is an important question for all of us. If you're not tempted by circumstantial faith right now, you will be in the future. All of us are. All of us hit rough patches and hard seasons and difficulties in life that make us want to lean in the direction of circumstantial faith over true biblical faith. So let's all lean in as we answer this question. Can we do that? All right, three things. How do we align our hopes and convictions with the promises of God? It starts here. You've got to know the promises of God. You've got to know the promises of God. Have you ever heard someone use that phrase, ignorance is bliss? Some of us, we've probably used it, haven't we? I'll give you a picture of it if you're not sure what it means uh, just a few weeks ago, I read this article on Coca-Cola, the drink. And in the article, uh, the, the description was given of what Coca-Cola can do to things like milk, like milk you buy at the store in the carton, and, uh, and also what it can do for your toilet. Did you know you can clean your toilet at home with Coke and it comes really clean? Some of you are going to try that later today, aren't you? Let's see if James was lying. I read this article and I went to my wife and I said, Amber, babe, listen to this article I just read about Coke. And as soon as I started, my wife, she plugged her ears and she said, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. You see, my wife is a Coke fan. She doesn't drink Coke very often, but she loves to enjoy one from time to time. And, and she knew that if, if she knew what I knew about Coke, she wouldn't be able to enjoy Coke like she now enjoys Coke. That's the idea of ignorance is bliss. As long as I don't know, I don't have to worry. As long as I don't know, I don't have to be responsible. Listen, while that way of thinking might free us up in certain scenarios, can I just tell you it does the exact opposite when it comes to the promises of God? If you remain ignorant to God's promises to you, you will fail day in and day out to align your hopes 
and convictions with his promises. And as a result, guess what happens? You walk in circumstantial faith. Here's the great news for us. God hasn't hidden his promises from us. Like you and I don't have to remain ignorant to his promises. He's made them plain and clear, and they're found in the pages of this book. So look, if we remain ignorant, that's on us, not on him. Let me give you a few things to do, four things to be exact, concerning this book so that you can know the promises of God. Here here we go. One, schedule a time to read it. And I notice some of us, that sounds impersonal. Schedule my time with God? Yes. Don't we schedule everything important in life? All the important stuff goes on the calendar first, doesn't it? And I just tell you, there's nothing more important than you hearing from God, listening to God, and learning about the promises of God found in the pages of Scripture. Pick a time that works. It doesn't matter if it's the morning, if it's at night, the middle of the afternoon, during your break at work. Just pick a time and read it. The second thing is this. Read it with a right view of God. If you're taking notes, would you write this down? A right view of the Bible begins with a right view of God. A right view of the Bible begins with a right view of God. Look, when you pick up this book to read it, here's my encouragement. Always remember that this was given to you by a God who loves you and wants the best for you. It was not given to you by some angry dictator God who wants to ruin your life, make you miserable, and steal all of your joy and freedom. If you remember that when you read this book, I promise the way you read it will change. Read it with a right view of God. Uh, The third thing is this. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. We know that the Holy Spirit was the one responsible for inspiring human authors to write the words that we see on the pages of the scriptures. We also know from John 16, 13 that the Holy Spirit promises today to guide you and I into all truth. Here's what that means as it concerns the Bible. That if we will read it, the Holy Spirit will make sure that we understand it. That's great news, right? Practically, when people say, uh, well, James, I don't read my Bible because I can't understand it. Practically, I always tell them, well, make sure that you're reading a version of the Bible that you can actually understand. You guys get that, right? Just pick one that you go, oh, I can understand that. If you're going, oh, what is thee and thou and ye and yea, I don't even, I, don't, I can't get it. Just get one you can read. Second thing I always recommend, uh, get a good study Bible. I've told you this before as your pastor. I cheat, man. I cheat. I do. I read the Bible, and then I read commentaries so that I can better understand the Bible, and then I tell you what I know. You can do that. Get a good study Bible. I use the ESV most oftentimes, and it'll help you to understand the Scriptures. But please don't miss this. At the end of the day, you need to read the Bible and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. You have to believe that he's going to come through on your promises. If I read it, he will help me to understand it. If we know Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we have no excuse for not understanding the word of God. He will help us. The last thing is this. You want to know the promises of God? Do what the Bible says. Do what it says. You can know the Bible forward, backward, inside and out, cover to cover. Can I just tell you, unless you apply it to your life and actually obey it, it won't make a bit of difference. You will never experience the promises of God until you put the word of God into practice. Are you with me? You want to experience the promises of God coming alive in your life? Well, do what God says and put the promises of God to the test. The good news is he will come through every single time. The second thing is this. To align your hopes and convictions with the promises of God, you you don't hold God to promises he hasn't made. When you do the opposite of this, you start putting expectations onto God that you shouldn't be putting on him, right? I'll explain myself. 
I have two daughters at home. Uh, my youngest daughter, she's going to be six months old this week. Here's her life right now. Uh, she cries, she sleeps, she eats, she plays some, and then she cries some more, sleeps some more, eats some more, plays a little bit more, uh, goes to bed at night and wakes up a couple times a night to cry some more and, and eat some more. That's all she does all day long. I love her to death. That's her life. Can you imagine if my expectations for my six-month-old right now were this? Uh, she needs to walk, to talk, uh, to feed herself, to use the bathroom somewhere other than her diaper toilet would be best, and she needs to sleep 12 hours a night, no exceptions. If those were my expectations, I'd be frustrated, wouldn't I? Why? Because I'd be putting expectations on her I shouldn't be putting on her. I am convinced that this is the reason people get so frustrated with God at times. They put expectations on him they shouldn't be putting on him as a result of holding God to promises he hasn't made. This is why you and I will ask those questions. God, how could you? God, why, why would you? Why am I experiencing this pain? God, why are you letting me go through a season of loss? God, why in the world aren't you freeing me up from this thing I've been struggling with for so long and, and asking you to free me from? God, why won't you? Why didn't you? Why, why can't you? And we'll ask those questions as if God promised us that our lives here on the earth would be void of hardship, pain, and struggle. The problem is he never promised that. He promised what I mentioned earlier. At times, life's going to be hard. We're going to suffer. We're going to face difficulty. People are going to get sick. Death is always going to be a part of life. But he's going to be there. And he's going to walk with us, and he's going to see us through, and he's going to give us every ounce of power, strength, and grace we need to get to the other side. That's his promise to us. Look, I'll go back to my daughter for just a moment. I know that there's coming a day when my daughter's going to do all the things I want her to do. She's going to walk and talk and, and use the bathroom where normal people use the bathroom, and, and she's going to feed herself and sleep through the night. It's going to be great. Praise God for the sleeping through the night part. Really looking forward to that. I know that day's coming. So I can look forward to that day with great expectancy while keeping right expectations for her in the present moment. Church, this is the same thing we have to do concerning the promises of God. Can I just tell you there's coming a day when God's going to do for you all you want him to do? It's beautiful news. What do you want? You want to be free from sickness? You want to be free from pain, free from struggle, free from hardship, you want all the things that you hate about this life to be no more. If you know Jesus, look, God's gonna do all that for you. His eternal promises one day after your life on this earth is over or Christ comes back before that happens, they are going to become your new reality. You can expect God to do that. Look at me, you just can't expect him to do it all for you now. Why? Because he never promised he would. Sometimes he does. Can I just tell you, sometimes God comes through on eternal promises in powerful ways, and he puts his glory on display through our lives by doing things on our behalf that are unexplainable other than, than by him. But at other times, here's what happens. God doesn't do that. Instead of giving us his power, his supernatural power, God just gives us his presence, and he says, I'm going to be enough. I'm going to be enough for you. And as we walk through fiery trials with God by our side, people around us get to see that it doesn't matter what life is throwing at us. We have an anchor. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is all our soul needs to make it through whatever it is we're facing. We cannot hold God to promises he hasn't made. The last thing, the final thing is this. You want to align your hopes and convictions with the promises of God? You need to trust in his faithfulness, not in your feelings. 
I've already touched on this, but I'm just going to say it again. There will be times in all of our lives when our circumstances will play on our emotions and feelings. And because your emotions and feelings change, and because they lie to you, you know that, right? Your emotions lie to you. This is why we can't trust in our feelings, because they they try to dupe us, they lie to us, they, they try to get us to believe things that just aren't true, aren't reality. Because that's the case, at times we're going to walk through things in life and our circumstances uh, will play on our feelings and our feelings will attempt to change our thoughts and our desires about God. And in those moments and seasons, the decision we have to make is this. Am I going to trust in what I feel? Am I going to trust in what I know? Am I going to trust in what I feel or am I going to trust in what I know? Church, here's what we know. We know that unlike our emotions and feelings, our God never lies to us. Our God, he never changes. He never bails on us. He never quits on us. Even on our worst day, when we falter and fail and blow it, God remains faithful to us. And if you're the person, why should I believe that, bro? Here's a simple answer. Because of Jesus. That's why. When the wheels of life are falling off, the best evidence we have of the faithfulness of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about this with me. Why would God send his one and only son into this world to give his life in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven by him, accepted by him, adopted into his family, has loved sons and daughters, only then to bail on us and break all of his promises? Well, the answer is he wouldn't. That's a crazy way to think. So here's my encouragement to you. In dark seasons, when you're struggling, when you want to give up, when you want to put stock in how you feel over, the, over what you know, do this. Look at the cross of Jesus and let his sacrifice serve as your reminder of just how committed God is to you. Here's how we're going to close the band. They're going to come out in just a moment. And we're going to sing a song together. A song that if you've been around our church, you've probably heard, maybe you know it. If you're new, then, then I would just say, man, learn this song with us as we sing it. More than anything, I want to challenge us and encourage us to let this song be the cry of our heart. Ask God to make it true of your life as we sing and respond in just a moment. God, I don't want to trust in what I feel. I want to trust in what I see. I want to trust in your promises. And I want you to be enough for me. Can we just bow our heads and get our hearts ready for this time? Father, first and foremost, we just want to thank you for the promises that you've made to us. God, we thank you for your character. We thank you that that we can know with full confidence that you will come through on your promises. You won't leave us out to dry. You won't quit on us. You won't bail on us. You won't change your mind. God, you'll do for us exactly what you've promised us you would do. God, some of us in the room, we need help believing that today. We need faith, God. Some of us need greater wisdom on how to align all that we're hoping for and all that we're convicted of with what you promised. God, I'm just praying that that whatever the need is in our life, that you would meet us where we are, that you would help us, that you would change us. God, you would restore us. If if some of us need to be broken down, God, God, break us down. God, we just want you to have your way in us. So God, would you just unleash your spirit on this place? God, would, 
Would you just move in power and do a work in the next few moments that only you can do? God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.